The Sabbath day is not some cultural idea. It is a day of rest and honoring the Holy God. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Jen. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And today we're looking at the 23rd chapter of Leviticus pertaining to the Levites. And we're going to talk about this in about five minutes. It's going to be really interesting. Corey is here. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at the different types of sacrifice that God uh, gave to the Israelites. Ryan? Today I'm going on location to, dis to discuss the challenges and issues that Leviticus posed for first century Jews and Christians. Very good. Look forward to that. They're coming up in about 20 minutes time. Janice, about 25 minutes time. What's going on? It's our fun-filled Friday question. I don't want to say that 10 times quickly. <laughs> and I'm going to be basing that question on what we've read the past week, anywhere from Leviticus 1 to 24. Leviticus 23, verses 1 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 through 8. Leviticus 22, 23, and 24. That's what we read today in the Bible. Now, this is an amazing part of Scripture. You see, the Lord outlined holy days in His law for Israel, His culture, His people. Israel needed to arrange their yearly, weekly calendar around remembering God. Leviticus chapter 23 explains that observation and the observation of these laws as part of recognizing the cost of sin, S-I-N. Sin has always been devastating to mankind. We are the ones who sinned. We did it. And we are the ones who must bear the consequences for it. Now, the problem is, even in giving the law to Israel, God would have known that it was impossible for anyone to have perfectly fulfilled it. And that is why the law was only part of God's plan for salvation. It's laid groundwork that Jesus Christ would fulfill and build on top of. Jesus Christ is not an imposter as some have imposed. 
He was and is the only begotten Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. In order to be right with God, we must turn from sin, ask for his forgiveness, and give our lives to following him, that is, Jesus Christ. That is how we deal with sin in our lives. It's not just a matter of saying, okay, we're bad now, and, but we're going to be better. We, we can't. We have to come to the Lord and say, we are lost and we are headed for destruction. We need your help. So that's where we're talking from the Old Testament in Leviticus 23. It's very, very interesting as we go through this. And we learn about the effects of sin and the cost and all of that. And Jesus Christ, we consider what he did. So let's pray today and ask the Lord to show us. Father, I pray today that you would show us the truth. Help us to see the details of what you did. Help us to see some of those details. There's so many we can't understand, but help us to see them today. Help us to hear them and help us to know, Lord, and we thank you eternally for saving our lives in Jesus' name. And we all said together, make it so or amen. Now, take out your Bible guide, turn to today's passage, because I mean to tell you, this is really interesting. And I want to, I love going through the law of God because it's fascinating as we explore the law. Okay, in Leviticus 23 and the Bible guide, if you don't have one, why not? You can write us or call us or go to Bible Discovery TV and get one. Click on the page, it'll take you to a donate page. Then you can download the file as we printed it uh, for your computer. Very exciting. Anyway, let's look at the scripture. Here is what the scripture says. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Leviticus 23, 1 to 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feast, my feast. Six days shall work be done, but. The seventh day is Shabbat, or the Sabbath of the solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all of your dwellings. I love that. God proclaims the Sabbath as holy, a day of solemn rest. It is the holy day or the only day grounded in creation and commanded in the Ten Commandments. And this is what I mean to say by that. Of course, one day in seven. Absolutely critical. One day in seven, we need to rest. We need to stop. Stop doing all the things. There's a hundred thousand things we have to do. We need to rest. That's the day we just stop and we take it easy and relax and sit down and enjoy ourselves and just take it easy. Don't work. And we say to the Lord, that's your day. And on your day, what does the Lord say? He says, you rest on my day. <laughs> I love that. The Bible is awesome, isn't it? It's great. All right, let's go on to the next passage from four to six. It says in verse four, these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight, this is the Lord's Passover. 
And on the 15th day, a day later, of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. This is amazing. God appointed special times, dates, and even what the people were to eat as signs and symbols. Don't let culture dictate what's important. Only God alone, through Christ Jesus, can help us to understand what's important. You know, Christ, he did all of these feasts. He was Jewish. He did all of these feasts. I'm not suggesting that we need to become Jewish because we can't. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm saying is that we need to understand that there is a reason and we need to pay attention. And by the way, on the Bible guide, it has the Jewish calendar on the top because we need to orient ourselves to the lunar calendar, not the sun calendar. And, uh, you know, it's just, by the way, all the names of the days are names after Roman gods. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday. Friday and Saturday and Sunday. These are worship to the gods of the sky, but God gives us grace and gives us the ability to understand that we need to do what he says is right. So what does the Lord say? What, what does he say is right? Very interesting. All right, let's go on to Leviticus 23, verse seven. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation, a holy setting apart. You shall... Do no customary work on it. Okay, I love this. This is the first day. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. Now, the seventh day, this shall be a holy convocation and you shall do no customary work on it. This is amazing. So here we go. The seven days are marked as holy to the Lord. The ability for us to stop and observe the seventh day is an important and holy sign for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep in mind, there are times in the year which we stop. And those times that we stop, Easter and Christmas, that's one way we do it. We need to stop. We need to pay attention and we need to give the Lord honor and get, not give the Easter bunny or not give the, you know, that's okay, to, but Give the real meaning. God, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. Easter, died on the cross, rose from the dead. Christmas, brought into the world. Let's give him meaning for these days. Let's worship him. And then one day in seven, we should go to church. And one day in seven, we should actually give credit to the Lord and give him. We, I, I tell people in the church, I used to say, we celebrate Jesus Christ's resurrection one day in seven all together. So let's do that today. Very, very important. Think that through. Father, help us to understand what you're saying. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Now, as we're reading through the book of Leviticus, 
the issue of sacrifice comes up quite often. I mean, the the first few chapters, the first three chapters of Leviticus really is just dealing with uh, the, the different kinds of sacrifices that God has commanded uh, for Israel. Uh, and it makes sense that it's in Leviticus because this book is all about the duties of the Levites who would have been responsible for carrying out these different types of sacrifices. So let's take a look first of all at what these different sacrifices were and what they were for. In the ancient Near East, religious sacrifices were extremely common. They were offered to various deities and consisted of valuable consumable resources like animals, grain, drink, and oil, as well as culturally prized items like incense, clothing, jewelry, precious metals, and stones. When thinking of the Bible, most readers will likely associate religious sacrifices with the law of God recorded in Exodus through Deuteronomy. The law limited and legislated religious sacrifices for Israel at its inception as a nation. Before this time, however, the Bible clearly reflects what history also does, that religious devotion expressed in sacrifices and offerings was already widespread. The first biblical record of offerings to God comes from Genesis 4 and the tragic lives of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel brought offerings to God, but only Abel's was accepted. Cain's jealousy and anger ended in Abel's murder. This history shows that sacrifices were apparently always a part of the human experience, at least a part of it after the moral fall of Genesis 3. The story leaves the reader with many questions. Why were Cain and Abel giving sacrifices, and where was there a special place? What exactly made Cain's offering unacceptable? Regardless, Jewish tradition points to Moses as the author-compiler of Genesis, and as Moses was delivering the law of God, including regulations about sacrifices, perhaps one of the main points is that there have always been acceptable and unacceptable sacrifices. The Law of Moses then lays out an official record of what was appropriate as religious expression. There were five main offerings. The burnt offering was a way of calling on God and was accompanied by prayers. An acceptable animal would be killed, washed, and entirely burned up on the altar. The grain offering could be given alone, often accompanied burnt offerings, and could replace the animal of a burnt offering in the case of a poor worshiper. They were made either of raw, fine flour and oil or baked bread and cakes accompanied with incense. Grain offerings were partially burned on the altar and the rest was given to the priests. The fellowship or peace offering was essentially a meal shared by God and the worshipers, symbolically representing their covenant relationship. Certain portions were burned up to God with the worshiper and priests eating the rest of the animal. The sin offering was given to cleanse a person from sin or ritual impurity. It consisted of a specifically sacrificed animal, a portion of whom would be burned on the altar, and the rest of whom would be food for the priests. The purpose of the guilt offering was to make amends for mistreating any of the things of God or the people of Israel. The offerer had to reimburse for any stolen or damaged goods, and then they had to make an offering to God of an animal at the temple. 
Now, it also should be mentioned that the culture surrounding Israel also uh, very commonly took part in not only animal sacrifices, but also grain sacrifices and drink sacrifices as well. But there's a few main differences in, in how Israel was to frame and understand sacrifices versus the surrounding cultures. So the cr- surrounding cultures, the belief was that they were literally providing physical needs, physical food and physical drinks and pampering uh, to their gods so that those gods could then focus on their work in the heavens, which was to order uh, the natural processes of the earth. But with God, there there is this idea of sanctification, so of, of covering the sins of Israel. Uh, but then also there's uh, this idea that when they're sacrificing, it's of thankfulness because God is actually the one who is providing for them because God of the world, he is the one who has created this system of crops growing and rain falling and all of that. So it's less of a transaction between the people and God and more of thank you for this. Now, there is some language, especially in the fellowship offering, that talks about the offering being food for God. And this is because the people were literally... Uh, seeing this sacrifice as splitting a meal with God as a celebratory meal, thanking him uh, for their sacrifices. But elsewhere in the Bible, this idea that God is actually eating the sacrifice is completely dispelled. So the fact that Israel was doing it out in the open courtyard, so it's not behind closed doors, there's nothing mystical uh, going on here. God's not literally coming down and, and eating this meal. And then also later, for example, in Psalm 50, we see God directly saying, I don't eat the meat of bulls. I don't drink the blood of goats. This is what you do to thank me for being a good God to you. I I think it's really important to emphasize that God was, when we talk about the fellowship offering, he was not stressing that he needs that food, but he was stressing the idea of fellowship. Yes. The idea of being able to communicate with God and that communicative ability over a meal. I mean, how many times do we go have a meal because we just want to get to know somebody or something. That's exactly what God is doing. So very interesting, Corey. Excellent. Ryan. All right. Well, today we finished reading Leviticus. And when this third book of Moses was first given to God's people, its commands were pretty straightforward, like the sacrifices, the purity laws, and so on. But then fast forward to the first century AD. For these Jews and Christians, Leviticus posed some challenges, though for different reasons. So join me as I go on location as we discuss these issues. Hey guys, it's Ryan Hembry here. And in this video, I wanna talk about the book of Leviticus and how it posed challenges to first century Jews and Christians. So grab your Bibles and let's go. Okay, so Leviticus, it's kind of an important book. As a matter of fact, it's central to the Mosaic Law, and yet it posed quite a few challenges for first century Jews and Christians alike. I mean, imagine yourself for a minute as an observant Jew living in the time after the Romans had sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in AD 70. How on earth were you supposed to carry on with the ritualistic temple sacrifices commanded by God in Leviticus? And on top of that, with no sacrifices, there was also no need for priests as officials at those sacrifices. So how were priestly families to obey the regulations set out in Leviticus for them? Without a temple, Jews were suddenly faced with these issues and more, including the purity of priests, the Jewish family, and dietary regulations. 
Well, in response to these challenges, post-temple rabbis emphasized prayer and substituted the performing of the sacrificial laws with the study of them. In fact, the medieval scholar Maimonides argued that sacrifice was merely a concession to human frailty and never really God's intention. In other words, he believed God gave the Jews sacrifices because of their human need and want to have rituals similar to those practiced by the worshippers of other deities. But what did this mean for priests? Well, even though they were now out of a job, priestly families did continue to hold to Levitical laws of purity, especially in regard to marriage and contact with the dead. Observant Jews also preserved the purity of the Jewish family life by observing the ban on a woman's having intercourse for seven days for her monthly period and circumcising male babies. And the dietary laws in Leviticus chapter 11 were not only retained, but also carried out strictly in traditional families. So it's easy to see how Jews who lived after the temple was destroyed struggled with how to follow certain laws in Leviticus. But it wasn't just post-temple Jews who had issues with it. First century Christians also faced certain challenges related to Leviticus, like sacrifice, circumcision, and dietary regulations. Now ultimately, under the leadership of Paul the Apostle, the New Testament church concluded that such works were unnecessary for salvation. And later Christian scholar Origen articulated a theory of scripture interpretation that distinguished the literal from the more important spiritual meaning discerned by typology. Hence the sacrifices described in Leviticus constituted a typology and prediction of Christ, whose sacrifice was superior to and fulfilled the system outlined in Leviticus. Now, of course, even before Origen, the Holy Spirit inspired author of Hebrews had drawn the exact same conclusion. Therefore, when Christ Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, the sacrificial system was no longer necessary. In fact, it was never meant to be permanent, nor was it meant to provide righteousness and salvation, nor to take away sins. Rather, its role was to point us to the only one who can, Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, Jews who reject him are forced to remain locked up under the law, which doesn't save, rather than receiving freedom in Christ, who does save. So the animal sacrifices were never meant to be permanent, but was given to point us to Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law through his sinless life and sacrifice on the cross. Under the new covenant, Jesus himself provides that righteousness to all who put their trust on him. Now, if you wanna see the full cut of this video, then you're gonna to have to head to, over to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Hembry, because there are no time limits on YouTube. I'm able to go into a, a more detail. And remember also to subscribe and click on the notification bell. That way, when I upload new videos, you'll be instantly notified. This is important too, to remember that uh, your YouTube channel is there and you have longer segments on your YouTube channel. So do, do you, Corey. Yeah and uh, different segments, and I have on our YouTube channel, mm -hmm. PastorHembry.com as well. So that's very, very interesting and very good. These sacrifices are something, aren't they? Really fascinating as we look at this in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things we have to look at is what you have. Yes. Oh, I, I wanted to give Corey a couple of minutes, though, uh, to talk about your weekend. Oh, yes. Okay. So my husband and I do Bible Discovery, the weekend show. So, uh, you know, it's on a few stations on TV, but it's always on demand on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Corey Babechko. So on the weekend show, we take a look at the entire assigned reading for that week. Uh, and we answer questions that come up naturally in the Bible as we read and also viewer questions as well. Uh, and then if you follow 
fallen behind in your reading and you want to get caught back up or you just want to test yourself, I also do something called the 10 minute recap where I take 10 minutes of your time, sometimes a little less, sometimes like eight minutes or nine minutes. And I recap all of the reading to get you caught back up so you can start fresh on Monday. So that's all on my YouTube channel. Excellent. Very that's good. great. That's great. Okay. So if the viewers can ask questions, mm -hmm. then no, it's only fair. I think we that I should to. be able to ask questions. <laughs> we have many, several many viewers who've contacted me and they said, I, I missed the question or I got the question. Yes. So there's some people who are very dedicated watching. Very dedicated. Greg is one of them mm -hmm. down in North Carolina. Oh, we have so many that I could name right now. Yes. All right. But sometimes it's also pressure when we say their names out loud. I'll <laughs> just say that. Okay. Too. So here we go. Fair enough. I'm going to ask the question. Ryan and Corey are going to have to answer it here. But you listen at home and you play along as well and see if you know what the answer is. All right. So which of Aaron's sons offered profane fire before God? Which of Aaron's sons offered profane fire before God? Here are our choices. Number one, Eleazar and Ithamar. Number two, Mishael and Elzaphan. Or number three, Nadab and Abihu. We have, we have, the, and you are not to be giving signals. That ruins it for people at home. <laughs> Dad, don't do that. I don't want how pressure do? on them. I'm just mm -hmm. trying to help them. No, but I that's not how knew. it works. All right. I think so too. All right. So yeah. which of Aaron's sons offered profane fire before yeah. God? Do you have an answer? Well, I just did a segment on this, so I should know. It'd be bad if you yeah. didn't know. Uh, it's uh, number three, Nadab and Abihu. I second that. You yes. second that? And do you third that? I do. Even though I, I saw movement. He thirded it already. With but I reserve side. comment. Yes. I reserve comment because. You, <laughs> you know, already you, did comment when you did that. This is a I comment. Did. A yeah, sign can is. be a but <laughs> It's number three. So now, next time you know, keep your eye this way and don't look at Rod, who mm. might. Okay, you know what? Answer. Next week I won't so give any clues. If you answered Nadab and Abihu, you are absolutely right. And here's how we will prove it. We go back to the Bible, always do that with me. Leviticus 10, verse one, so that I'm not wrong. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So if you answered Nadab and Abihu, you're right. I want to thank you for joining us in prayer today. Thank you for watching the program. Come to YouTube and look at Pastor Rod Hembry. Pastor Rod Hembry, because I got a brand new program called Beyond the Call. Testimonies about people. And we want to encourage you to watch the program and, and be a part of that. That's on 
Pastor Rod Hembry on YouTube. It's also on our website, so make sure you ask that question. Where is Beyond the Call? In the meantime, let's pray. Lord, help me to run away from temptation today in Jesus' name. Amen.